The King, The Lady, and Russia. Part 1 of 3, Only She Can Help Us, by David Rodriguez. The message of Fatima is more important now than ever before. Yet there is such grave disobedience to Our Lady's message. Why? Controversies surround the consecration of Russia and the Third Secret, which misdirect so many regarding Our Lady's essential requests. She has given us the only solution for our time. The hour is late. The need is urgent. It is high time that everyone know the full message of Fatima and then lives in accordance with Heaven's requests. Thank you all very much for coming to our talk, which we're calling Christ the King, Our Lady of Fatima, and the Consecration of Russia. I intend to put this into three parts. Let's go ahead and begin with a prayer. We'll start with the prayer that the angel taught the children at Fatima. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. My God, I believe, I adore I hope and I love thee, and I ask pardon for all those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee, and I ask pardon of thee for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee, and I ask pardon of thee for all those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. Saints Jacinta and Francisco Marto, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, the first part of our talk is going to be entitled, Our Lady of Fatima, Only She Can Help Us. This might be a review for some of you, but nonetheless, I think it's always good to go over this review, especially right now, because the message of Fatima, I hope everyone realizes and share this with others, is more important right now than ever before. We, we really are living in the time of Fatima, and I hope you're convinced and are able to convince others of that. It is really coming to a climax and a culmination in this age. Uh, an age which I believe is rapidly coming to a close. Some of us may see it, uh, but more on that in a minute. It's very important, and that's one of the things that I'm going to try to do in this talk, is to study and know history. Unfortunately, this is one of those areas where a lot of us have maybe not had the knowledge, the historical knowledge, to be able to place the workings of God in the proper, let's say, historical context. That's important because God himself works in history. Uh, God uses prefigurements. Okay? He is the Lord of all time and all creation. And so he can give us prophecy and he can give us things to prefigure others. And that's all coming into play at Fatima. So we want to know when it's happening in time, what's the context, what's going on. 
And then, out of faith, we also know that, you know, God's perfect, right? God is giving us the most perfect sort of scenario possible. Everything is in God's hands. And that's really important, I think, for us to realize. So all the events that are taking place are happening by God's providence at the right time, at the right place. And therefore, it becomes our duty to sort of ask ourselves, okay, well, if this happened here and at this time, why? What is it that God is trying to tell us by that? And that's some of the reflection that I'd like to do as we go through the message of Fatima. The first thing I would like to do is certainly uh, encourage you to get, if you don't have it already, the 2021 Fatima calendar. It's got a lot of great features. I'm not really going to talk about the calendar right now, except for the fact that on the very beginning, it's got a real nice timeline of just some of the most important, again, very brief events that are very important in the message of Fatima. And we're going to be covering some of those right now. So if you have your calendar, you can look at it, or you can certainly review them at home. And this is, again, an ideal way to share some of this with others, you know, using that calendar. Obviously, also with Fatima, there is just so much. So we're only going to be able to cover a little bit. Again, these are just sort of like the very, very tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, if you will. As I thought about this talk, there's so many things that unfortunately I'm going to leave out, but I still hope to, again, give you some of the major points. For those who are interested in learning more, don't be dismayed. Father Rodriguez and I have both given various talks on Fatima. So we have a class that I gave several years back on the message of Fatima. We have that on CD or MP3. We have another one on Fatima and history. Father Rodriguez gave one sort of on the spiritual meaning of Fatima. So if anyone wants to know more or there's some things that I say that you're not aware of, let me know afterwards and we'll get those to you or then also just contact the St. Vincent Ferrer Foundation. When we speak of Fatima, a lot of people know some, I think, very basic things. Most Catholics seem to know, okay, Our Lady appeared at Fatima. I think Fatima is a little place out in Portugal. Maybe they know that. And she asked us to pray the rosary. And that might be about all people know, you know, in your normal, let's say, in Catholic parishes. There's certainly a lot more. So the first thing I'll say is, it's important to know that there were, let's say, 12 apparitions we should consider. There's actually a few more, but I like to say 12 major ones. Maybe I like 12 because of the 12 crowns of the 12 stars on Our Lady's crown. The first three are actually by St. Michael the Archangel. And this is in the spring, summer, and fall of 1916. He was appearing to the shepherd children, Jacinta, Lucia, and Francisco, to prepare them for Our Lady's coming. So those are the first three apparitions. And in fact, the prayer we just prayed at the start is one of the prayers that St. Michael taught them. And they would prostrate themselves on the ground and pray it over and over and really lose themselves in a kind of mystic trance as they prayed it. Then come the six apparitions that I think most people are familiar with. Those took place in 1917 on the 13th of every month, starting in May, May 13th, 1917 to October 13th, 1917. The one exception, as you probably know, is August. She was going to come on August 13th, but the children were kidnapped, and therefore she came a little while later on August 19th after they had been released by the Freemasonic mayor of the town of Urem. Okay, so not going to go again too much into those each apparitions. I'm going to leave that up to you to sort of look into more, although we will talk about what I would say is the main one, and that occurred on July 13th, 1917. In some ways, October 13th is the main one because that's when the great miracle of the sun took place, which again, I'm not even going to cover in this talk. That's the other thing a lot of people know about it. But on July 13th, that is when Our Lady gave them the secret of Fatima, which came in three parts. So that's sort of the central message. 
of Fatima. If you don't have this little booklet, it's another really good booklet to get. And young children can understand it. I've been reading it to my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old and 6-year-old, and they really enjoy it. And I have read it several times and keep sort of getting new nuggets out of it. So here, I just want to read to you very quickly, as a reminder, many of you perhaps already know this, but it's good to sort of put it back in our mind and recall the details. On July 13, 1917, she appears and she showed them a terrible scene. She opened her hands again, the lady, as she had done the two previous months, and the light reflecting from them seemed to penetrate into the earth. And we saw, this is the children speaking, as if into a sea of fire. And immersed in that fire were devils and souls with human form, as if they were transparent black or bronze embers floating in the fire and swayed by the flames that issued from within themselves, along with great clouds of smoke, falling upon every side just like the falling of sparks in great fires, without weight or equilibrium, amidst wailing and cries of pain and despair that horrified and shook us with terror. We could distinguish the devils by their horrible and repulsive figures of frightful and unknown animals, but transparent as the black holes in a fire. And so the children were shown a horrific vision of hell, which they actually say later on that if Our Lady had not assured them that they would go to heaven, they could have probably died from the fright and if she hadn't been there with them. So then Our Lady explained what they had seen to them. Okay, so we could say the first part of the secret is this vision, them seeing hell. The second part of the secret is now the explanation. And you'll notice that the explanation is lengthy, and it's a lot more than just, you saw hell. She gives them many more details that are connected to this whole vision of hell. Our Lady then said, You have seen hell, where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wills to establish throughout the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. So you can say right there, that's the essence of why Our Lady is coming. God wants to save souls. God wants to save us. God wants to save you. He wants to save me. But he wants to do it through Mary's immaculate heart. And so we have to go along with God's plan. If people will do what I tell you, many souls will be saved. And there will be peace. The war is going to end. There's a reference to it. At that time, it was called the Great War, World War I. Up until then, the world had never seen such a horrific war as World War I. But if they do not stop offending God, Another and worse war will break out in the reign of Pius XI. When you see a knight illumined by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign that God gives you, that he is going to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, hunger, persecution of the church and of the Holy Father. Quick parenthetical notation here, that light was in fact seen in 1938. Adolf Hitler saw it as well. And given his sort of occult leanings and his dipping into Norse and Scandinavian mythology, he took this as the sign that he was supposed to launch his offensive. And Sister Lucia did confirm that that strange light, which some people wanted to call an aurora borealis, it was not. It didn't have all the scientific characteristics of the aurora borealis, the northern lights. Uh, it was a strange light, but that did occur. And that was right before the onset of this other war that shook the World War II. So these were some of the prophecies and, in fact, have already come true. However, note... It's always important, I think, for us to keep in mind that if, if we had obeyed Our Lady of Fatima the way we should have, again, this is 1917, uh, World War II would never have happened. And again, I mean, we can carry that out now ourselves. World War II never happens. The Korean War never happens. The Vietnam War never happens. The Cold War never happens. 
Uh, all the stuff going on right now with these tyrannical dictatorships that are locking everything down and other terrible things that are happening in the world right now, none of that happens. Uh, and many other evils you can think of that wrecked and ravaged the 20th century and now the 21st, none of those things take place. Instead, we're living in a time of peace. Obviously, we're not. Our Lady of Fatima has not been obeyed. This, by the way, is some of the clearest proof that Our Lady of Fatima has not been obeyed because there's some people that think that she has and that the message of Fatima is sort of like, oh, old news, over and done with, let's move on to the next thing. No, no, we're still in the time of Fatima. Continuing back to the words of Our Lady, we stay in the second secret. To forestall this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. Again, I'll pause there, just emphasize. So there's two things that Our Lady is asking. Again, remember, the big thing is devotion to my Immaculate Heart. How is this going to be accomplished? Two main ways. The consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart, which has not yet happened, despite what some people say, and, there's an and there, the communion of reparation on First Saturday. So that's the other thing she wants done. I'll emphasize this more maybe later on, but remember this because... While you and I cannot consecrate Russia, we're going to talk about that later on also, we can and we must be doing the first Saturday of reparation. Okay? Later on, our Blessed Mother attached a special promise if you do five first Saturdays in a row. Okay? But notice that's not the original statement. The original statement is she wants the first Saturday of reparation done. So I would encourage you, please make it a point. Every first Saturday, fulfill this devotion. I'm not a bishop. Never will be a bishop, right? I'm married. But if I were a bishop, I like to think what I would do is I would say, in my diocese, first Saturday is a holy day of obligation. Every Catholic will be going to Mass and will be fulfilling this first Saturday devotion, and I as a bishop will be the first one out there. All I am is a father of a family. So in my family and in my household, it's a quote-unquote holy day of obligation. And, you know, I can take my children and my wife and I, we can do it. That's the extent of my authority. But I encourage each of you, for example, fathers in your homes, you know, take that commitment on yourself. You may not be able to bind your children under the pain of mortal sin, the way Holy Mother Church can bind us. Thank goodness for that. But you still can insist with all your authority as a father, we will be doing this. We'll be doing the first Saturday devotion. Again, a nice thing about the calendar is that what we did do for next year is we have a sheet where you have all the first Saturdays. And then you can go ahead and show how you filled it up so you can remember. It's a great reminder on your calendar. And if you've already done five first Saturdays, because that's the other thing you hear sometimes. Some people say, well, I already did the first five Saturdays. Again, it's not just five Saturdays and then you're over and done with. I mean, we've got to keep doing this because we've got to foster this devotion to the Immaculate Heart. So if you've done five Saturdays for yourself and now have the promises that Our Lady is giving you that she's going to get you to heaven, why not offer five first Saturdays for someone else? We all have. Sons, daughters, uncles, aunts, grandparents, grandchildren that are perhaps in the danger of salvation. Maybe we look at their life and we think the way you're living right now, not that I'm the judge, but from everything I can see, you're not making it to heaven. We'll offer five first Saturdays for them. There's no guarantee that that's going to get them because that's not the promise Our Lady made. But I think, I think Our Lady in her mercy and Our Lord in His mercy will sort of maybe apply that to another soul. We can certainly do that and try and win as many graces as we can. Okay, back to the message of July 13th. If they heed my requests, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she shall spread her errors throughout the world, promoting wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. 
Various nations will be annihilated. In the end, my immaculate heart shall triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, which will be converted, and some time of peace will be given to the world. In Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved, etc. If you're familiar with the message of Fatima, that etc. is a bombshell, because that's not how Our Lady speaks. She doesn't just say etc. No, what happened here is the children got another vision. Okay, This is now what we call the third secret. They got another vision, and then Our Lady explained that vision to them. For a long time, that vision was not revealed. Finally, in the year 2000, it was revealed. So we now have the vision. But the text of Our Lady, her words that explain the vision, still remain veiled to the world, and they have not been revealed to us. So we still know the text. Although we have some pretty good idea of what the text says. Again, remember, the first vision was hell, and then the explanation, which was quite lengthy, right? That's when she starts talking about her immaculate heart and many other things. So we're going to have the vision, and then there's going to be an explanation to it, which is obviously very important. Think about it. If all we had was the vision of hell, and we hadn't gotten all the rest of the explanation of why she showed them hell, want to preserve souls from going from there, need to do it through immaculate heart, devotion, do the first Saturday, do the consecration of Russia. If Russia is not consecrated, terrible things are going to happen. If Russia is consecrated, she'll be converted, there'll be peace. There was a lot of explanation to show what's going to prevent people from falling into hell. So too with the second vision, uh, which a lot of people, again, try to deny. And I'm mentioning those things so you're aware of some of the controversies and are prepared to sort of resist them. This pattern that Our Lady gives us is very much modeled on the way our Lord acts. And the sacraments, as you may know, come always with word and with deed. So our Lord will say things and he'll do things. You know, he'll take mud and saliva, he'll make saliva, uh, mud with his saliva, and then he'll rub it on the person's eyes and he'll say, you know, be opened or in the ears. So he's doing actions, you know, that's like the vision, and then he's adding words to it. That's how God works with these actions and these words. And even the sacraments are like that. We have the form of the sacrament, which are the words, and we have the matter. So you don't just pour water over someone's forehead, and that's it. It's done. No, you have to pour water. There's your action. And then you say the words. Ego te baptizo. I baptize you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And that's how they're baptized. So Our Lady is using that same sort of structure that you find in the very Gospels and in the very person of Christ. Anyway, enough for that particular vision there. Something else that people might not know, but this is important to note. We said God is choosing the perfect time. Why did Our Lady appear on May 13th? There's a lot of reasons, and I certainly don't propose to exhaust, you know, the wisdom of God and why. But one thing to keep in mind always is that on May 5th, 1917, just one week before Our Lady appeared, Pope Benedict XV pens a letter to Our Blessed Mother. And he has it issued and published throughout every church in Rome where he basically is throwing up his hands and he's saying, I have done everything I humanly can to stop Europe and the world, Christendom, from destroying itself in this war. Every avenue, every political avenue, everything has been sought and is useless. The young men of Europe were being slaughtered by the hundred thousands. And again, it was to completely destroy Europe. I would argue that our world has not really recovered from World War I. So anyway, Pope Benedict the Fifteenth can't do anything about it. He writes a letter to our Blessed Mother. He asks for her intercession, and he calls her Queen of Peace. Pray for us. And since then, in the Litany of Loreto, that has become the final invocation. That's why we finish the Litany of Loreto with Regina Pacis, Ora Pro Nobis. That comes from Benedict the Fifteenth penning this letter. Okay, so every time we pray that Litany, think, we're going back to what Benedict asked Our Lady to do. Less than a week later, 
Our Lady appears at Fatima. See, so our God is responding quickly. And note here the role of the Pope. I would argue the Pope doesn't do that, doesn't pen that letter. Our Lady doesn't come at Fatima. She is coming in a response to what the Pope has done. That is going to be central to the message of Fatima because the Pope is a very important figure in this message, unlike any other apparition that the Pope is going to play. I hope to elaborate on that a little more. Okay, so that gets us to apparition number six, seven, eight, and nine. Now our last three. Pontevedra on December 10th, 1925. Sister Lucia is now a nun. That is when our Lord and Our Lady appeared to her and Our Lady shows her her immaculate heart filled with thorns and asks for the first Saturday devotion again. This is when she makes the promise about the five first Saturdays and talks of how you know, we're removing the thorns from her immaculate heart when we fulfill this devotion. Again, you can get all the details in this little booklet. That's on page 78. The True Story of Fatima by Father John DeMarchi. You can contact the Fatima Center. They'll ship you a copy. It's also available online at the Fatima Center's website, a free PDF version that you can just read if you'd like. And again, this is that same booklet I mentioned earlier that I'm even reading to my young children, and they enjoy. I've also taught a high school church history class, and I've assigned it to the high school students to read it so they can become familiar with Our Lady's Message of Fatima. Then, we might say the most important one happens in Tui on June 13th, 1929. Again, it's a 13th. So an anniversary. And perhaps the most important part is that Sister Lucia receives a great theophany, an apparition of the Trinity. In fact, she says many of the things that were revealed to her, she can't even put into words, and she's not even allowed to reveal to us. So she got a great insight into the mystery of God. What she did see, of course, was the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and it was there at the altar, and our Lord is crucified, and the blood is there, and the sacred host is there. It's very Eucharistic. It's very Catholic. Our Lady was there with her Immaculate Heart. The words grace and mercy were coming down. Again, Father has actually given great talks just on that theophany. So I will not repeat that now. What I will mention, just so you all have it in your head and don't forget this. This is the day that our Lord and Our Lady said, now is the time to consecrate Russia. So back in 1917, she had only said, I will come and ask for the consecration of Russia. It's 12 years later in 1929 when she said, now is the time. So up until then, Russia was not supposed to be consecrated by decree of God. After 1929 on June 13th, it is. I've always thought this is an important detail because when we want to talk about the disobedience that is ongoing, I do think it's important to say, well, the disobedience has not been going on since 1917. It's been going on since 1929. That's when it started because that's when the command was issued. Okay. Now we'll follow that through with a few years later. Notice it's just a couple years later, 1931. Sister Lucia is in a convent in Rianjo, Spain. And our Lord appears to her. And he tells her, why has the consecration not been done? Make it known to my ministers, meaning the Pope, the bishops, that given they follow the example of the King of France in delaying the execution of my command, they too will follow into misfortune. So what is this a reference to? Basically, in 1689, our Lord had appeared to Sister Margaret Mary Alocoque. He'd been appearing to her several times before, giving her the devotion of the Sacred Heart. But in 1689 is when he told her, I want the King of France to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart. And I want the Sacred Heart to be put on the flag of France. And many blessings would flow therefrom. The King of France didn't do it. 
This was King Louis, the Sun King, the 14th. He was the greatest monarch at the time, filled with a lot of pride. Unfortunately, I think he doesn't do it. We have hope that maybe at the end of his life, he made a good confession. There's some you know, evidence for that. But he had his son and his sons, and we keep going down the line. And if you know your history, it's in 1789, a hundred years later, after the consecration was asked for, that the French Revolution breaks out. And again, that has devastated our world, and we haven't recovered from the French Revolution. And in the process, the French king lost his head. And basically, the French monarchy was destroyed. And much of their faith was lost. It was a great revolution against altar and throne. The French kings delayed for a hundred years. Some say that in prison, the imprisoned French king did consecrate his country, but it was too late. France suffered much and the world has suffered much because of it. It seems clear that our Lord is making a reference to that. He's saying, tell the Pope and the bishops not to delay. If they do, the same misfortune that befell the kings of France is going to happen to them. So it makes sense to me to think I mean, here I'm not a prophet, and I'm not putting this down as de fide. I think it's just a reasonable speculation, and it's something for us to consider, that a hundred years from that time of disobedience, terrible things may happen. Now, they're already happening right now, obviously. But it might be intensified and ratched up several notches if 2029 rolls around, and we have been disobeying for a hundred years, and Russia remains unconsecrated. So brace yourselves for that sort of thing. That's part of what this talk is about and why we're trying to get this done before 2029. We might be able to avert an even greater disaster, although there's already disasters in the works. That is unavoidable, and, and we are living through some of them. Uh, finally, the 12th apparition, I would say, happened on the 2nd of January, 1944. This is when our Blessed Mother appeared to Sister Lucia and told her, write down the third secret. So up until now, she hadn't written the third secret down. She got very ill. She almost died. And so her bishop told her, I need you to write the secret down. I don't want you to die with this secret. She hadn't done it before because the bishop hadn't told her to. The bishop had sort of said, well, if you want to, you can write it. She said, look, I'm not writing it unless I have a command expressly. Now she had the command. She still couldn't do it. That command came in October and she still couldn't do it. She says that a preternatural force was preventing her from. That means the devil. Okay, so Satan did not want this third secret to be written down. Satan does not want the world to know the third secret. And so he didn't even let her write it down, and it wasn't until January 2nd that Our Lady appears to Sister Lucia, gives her this extra, like, super abundance of grace, and then Sister Lucia was able to write down the third secret. So that's how we got the third secret, and that's why I call it sort of the twelfth and very important apparition, because without it, we would not have the third secret. Again, I, I don't have enough time to go into all the history, um, but repeatedly Sister Lucia kept saying, it is so necessary to insist the consecration must be done. They would ask her why. She would say, it's because our Lord wants the church to acknowledge that consecration as a triumph of the Immaculate Heart and to place devotion to Mary's Immaculate Heart next to devotion to the Sacred Heart in the church. So, God wants to save the world. But He's not going to do it unless we obey Him and we do it the way He commands. And He wants the whole world and certainly the church to acknowledge that this has been wrought by her Immaculate Heart. He wants His mother to get the credit. He wants the Immaculate Heart to get the credit. And so it's going to have to be obvious to the whole world that this is being done through the Immaculate Heart and because of this consecration. Otherwise, we're not going to have any of these promises. We're not going to have peace. And we're going to continue to spiral into the darkness into which we're headed right now. Again, many details. So 
listen to the other talks if you're interested, but there's important things, like the bishops in Portugal got together in the 30s, and they consecrated Portugal to Our Lady of Fatima's Immaculate Heart, and Portugal was saved the ravages of World War II. Back in 1942, October 31st, Pius XII made a consecration of the world to the Immaculate Heart, which Sister Lucia said, okay, our Lord will accept that, and he will shorten World War II. Right after that happened is when the shifts in the war changed, and it looked like there would be an end to the war, right after 1942, after this consecration. Pius XII proclaimed the dogma of the Assumption in 1950, and he got to see a little miracle of the sun in Rome, which he himself testifies to. A lot of people don't know about that. The consecration should have come maybe at the same time or on the heels of that. Then in 1952, in a letter, Sacro Vergente Ano, Pius XII consecrates Russia by name at the request of the Russian people. But he just does it in a letter. And he doesn't do it in a public forum with all the bishops of the world. So it's still missing. But those really, I think, are the two closest consecrations we got. 1942, the first big one that brought about the end of World War II, then 1952, because it's the only one that has mentioned Russia by name. And after those times, Sister Lucia would say, our Lord has accepted that, but it's incomplete. I know you are as parents, but I know as a dad, I don't like second-time obedience, and I don't like incomplete obedience. That's disobedience. So, you know, I can only see that our Lord and our Lady are saying the same thing to us. Many people don't know that in Austria in the 1950s, there was a great rosary crusade. So many of you are of the age where you know how Germany got split into four parts after World War II, and the Soviets wouldn't let go of their part. They kept East Germany for quite a while until, you know, the wall fell down in 1989, etc. But Austria was also split up. Austria was split up into four parts, and the Russians weren't letting go of their part, which was the eastern part that had Vienna, uh, and looked like they were going to hold on to that. So there was a priest in the 50s who began a huge rosary crusade, and they had tens and hundreds of thousands of rosaries being said. They had public processions. They finally got the bishop of Vienna to agree. He was, had a lot of resistance to it, and they got the, the secular authority to agree, and they were marching in processions down the Ringstrasse in Vienna, and then on May 13th, I think it was 1955, the Soviets just said, we're, we're leaving. We're just pulling out. It, it was unheard of. I mean, historians don't understand why in the world this happened. You know, the Soviets had never pulled back. Communists had always been very aggressive. They never pulled back, and it was peaceably done. So they were all very surprised. Well, for someone of faith, you're not that surprised. This is the power of the rosary. This is, Our Lady was giving us these proofs to sort of help us to say, do what I'm asking you. Get Russia consecrated. Look what I can do here. I'll do that on a much, much grander scale. But instead, we haven't obeyed. April 16th, 1957, is when the third secret was sent to Rome. So in the preceding years, Pius XII had sent several ambassadors, Father Schweigel, and then in 52, and then in 55, Cardinal Ottaviani, to talk to Sister Lucia. So they came back with information for the Pope, and the Pope decided he needed the secret in Rome. Why? Most likely because the Portuguese bishops announced then, in fact, they were going to reveal the secret to the world in 1960, which is what Our Lady had commanded, that in 1960, this secret was to be revealed to the world. Now, that's important because that means it's, it's our patrimony, yours and mine. We should know what this secret said. As of 1960, we should have known. Everybody should have. That's Our Lady's command. But it was not done. So the secret went to Rome, and at that point in time, it was out of the hands of the Portuguese bishops. They didn't open it ahead of time. It goes to Rome. Then, and this is very interesting, you've got to get a hold of it and read it. Day after Christmas, so it's December 26, 1957. Father Agustin Fuentes, 
who was the man in charge of the canonization process they were looking to for Francisco and Jacinta, goes and talks and interviews Sister Lucia. It's a very powerful interview. I am convinced that already at this time, Sister Lucia knew what was coming. She knew Russia would not be consecrated. She knew she would not be able to reveal the secret to the world. I think Our Lady let her know that, that she was going to suffer that much. And so she revealed as much as she could to Father Fuentes in this interview. So he publishes the interview. It's an important interview because it talks about the scandals in the clergy. It talks about the great loss of faith. It talks about the great power of the rosary. It's, It's really pertinent to our time. So please do get a hold of it and read it, or I can email it to you if you just ask me. But it's online also, you can get it. For a while, nothing seems to happen with that interview, except then Pope Pius XII dies, and John Twenty-Third is elected. And about six months after that, in July, Father Fuentes is severely reprimanded for this interview. He's told he invented it, he made it up. But this is like you know, seven months later. It's already been out in all the publications. And he is silenced, and he is taken out of that position, And we never really hear from Father Fuentes again. So this is like the last interview he got to do. And then, Sister Lucia, very uncharacteristically, she was a very quiet nun, very reserved, basically asks permission if she can give a radio message to the world. And as soon as that request is made, what did Rome respond with? Pope John XXIII silenced her and said, you may never speak about any of this again. So from then on, we never really heard from Sister Lucia again in any sort of public forum, and she certainly wasn't allowed to give that radio message just before 1960. Instead, John XXIII announced on January 25, 1959, his plans for a second Vatican Council. He did wind up reading the secret. His advisors told him, you probably ought to read this third secret. He did that in August of 1959. He sealed it back up, and he said, this is not for our time. And then... An anonymous communication was delivered in February to the world, this is now 1960, that the third secret was never going to be known. Uh, so that's what happened to it. Uh, you have to wonder why. You know, The contents of that is something that they did not want to release at that time. And as I said, to this day we don't know the contents. We just know the vision. So yes, there are many more important details to go over. There's been numerous other Marian apparitions that corroborate Fatima and give us more insights like Our Lady of Akita, the Weeping Madonna of Syracuse, Our Lady appearing in Rome, Tres Fontaine, even Our Lady of Buen Suceso, La Salette. You know, Our Lady's been giving us prophetic messages that all are pointing in the same direction. John Paul II spoke about this in Fulda, Germany, that at this point in time we could not avert the catastrophe. All we could do was minimize it, mitigate it, if we prayed our rosary well and if we did what Our Lady asked. Not too long ago, while Pope Benedict was still reigning on the throne without any disputes there, I think it was 2009, 2010, he talked about how Fatima is more relevant now than ever before. Uh, There's even a report out there that Benedict was talking with a friend of his, a longtime friend, Father Ino Dullinger, who is a rector of a seminary in Argentina, he's German, but Father Dullinger said, yes, Ratzinger told me, because this is when he was still Cardinal Ratzinger, he had read the secret, that the secret had to do with an evil council and an evil mass. If that is in fact a correct report, it might make a lot of sense why that's never been revealed to the world. Because if it talks about an evil council that can destroy the faith, an evil mass that can destroy the world, yeah, it stands to reason that there's certain people that are still in power that don't want this third secret released. It also certainly talks about great catastrophes, but the biggest catastrophe is the spiritual one, is the great loss of souls. So yes, we got Vatican II instead. The faith was changed. The mass was changed. Many things in the church were changed. Many people have lost their faith. We are now seeing great scandals destroy the church. 
destroy religious life, destroy the priesthood. John Paul II made various attempts to consecrate Russia in 81 and 82 and 84, but none of them were complete. Uh, there's debate on that, but take my word for it. I mean, I can get you all the research. They haven't been done. The clearest proof if somebody thinks that Russia's been consecrated is our Blessed Mother is not a liar. She fulfills her promises. Let's not be blasphemous against our Lord and our Lady. Again, think, remember, within a week of the Pope penning that letter, there she was at Fatima, giving the world the solution. She's going to act quickly when it comes, because that's God's trademark. He doesn't fool around, he doesn't mess around, he's not going to waste time. He wants to give us his grace. He's going to act quickly once we finally get our act together and obey. Russia's not consecrated because there's no peace in the world. That's Our Lady's promise. Russia's not consecrated because Our Lady promised Russia will be converted. She's going to be converted to the one true holy Catholic apostolic and Roman church outside of which there's no salvation. Some people go around saying, oh look, Orthodox Christianity is making a comeback in Russia. That's a schismatic sect. That's not the true faith. That is not conversion. Our Lady doesn't call that conversion. Okay, so Russia remains unconverted. She remains unconsecrated. And we don't have peace in the world. Things are only getting worse, as you well know. The proof is in the pudding. We know Russia is not consecrated because the promises aren't there. So I really don't understand why anyone, any Catholic with you know, a modicum of faith, is sort of running around deluding themselves with this notion that Russia may have been consecrated. It has not. We have not seen the fruits. Again, let us not dare be blasphemous towards Our Lady. So, uh, the third secret has still not been fully revealed. We've got 60 years running now of disobedience because it should have been revealed in 1960. And Russia has not been consecrated as it should have been in 1929. We now have 91 years of disobedience running there. Clearly, we have not merited the grace as a church for Russia to be consecrated. Every grace has got to be won. Okay, Our Lord won all the graces in the world on the cross. But every single grace that you get in your family life, that you get in your personal life, it's got to be won. And it's won through the cross. It's won through suffering. It is won through pain. It is won through us doing our daily duty, prayer, penance on our knees. This is the greatest grace that God wants to give the world. The salvation of so many souls and peace like we've never seen in the world before. And mass conversions, the likes of which we've never seen before. I think we get a small glimpse of what God will do when you just think of the Americas. Okay, this was a land that was under the dominion of Satan. And anyone who studied the Aztecs knows, I'm not going with this modernist history. Okay, the Aztecs, unfortunately, you know, some of my answers too back there, I'm sure. But they were under the power of Satan and they had terrible human sacrifices. I mean, when they dedicated a temple, I believe it was in 1520 to Huitzilopochtli, they massacred 80,000 to 100,000 people, ripping out their hearts, hearts still beating, blood gushing down in torrents down their pyramids. And this was satanic. And that's really what the Spaniards, Hernán Cortés and the others were fighting when they got there. They said, this is a kingdom that belongs to Satan. And even though the Franciscans came over and missionaries came over, they couldn't really get too many conversions. Until... Right, 1531, December 12th. We're going to be celebrating that soon. Our Lady of Guadalupe appears and suddenly everything changes. And in less than 10 years, you have 8 million, 10 million, 15 million. No one really knows the numbers. But you have an entire continent basically converting to the Catholic faith. Interestingly, Europe was falling into the Protestant Revolution at that time. And the church was losing 5 million Catholics in Europe, but gaining many, many more. Our Lady can work quickly. I am convinced that once Russia is consecrated, it's going to dwarf what the world will see, will dwarf what happened back in 1531 and in those days in the Americas. 
We're talking about Russia being converted. Very likely, I probably won't get into this in this talk, but I, I'm convinced that many, many, many of the Muslims will be converted at that time also to the one true faith. And our lady is going to be bringing about some great things. That's what's in store for us. So I know things look pretty bleak right now also, but there's also great hope. It's both. It's the cross. And this also goes back to the papacy and the great war that Satan is waging against God. So that's going to be the second part. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the Catholic faith and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a much-needed donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. So many souls need to know and love Mary, so as to truly know and love Jesus. For the glory of God and the salvation of souls, please share this talk with others. And may God reward you. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. <laughs>